So essentially, <clears throat> data interpretation, uh, results interpretation, is the last step within the entire world of clinical research that starts with the design of a trial, then you have to conduct the trial, to uh, analyze the trial, to report the data, and finally, to make something out of it. Now, uh, the uh, professionals involved in data interpretation are the same as the one who designed the trial, as opposed to the other professionals and the patients who are the <coughs> uh, interpreter of the other phases. So essentially, it's the clinical researcher and the statistician that usually interpret the trial results. Now, interpreting the results essentially means answering to this very simple question. You have worked a lot, you have reported the study, and now so what? So what is a very generic statement. Usually this is what the reporters, the journalists, ask you when you make a report at a major meeting. Okay, so okay, you have told us all these results, and now what should we do with those? Now, uh, there is a structured way to answer this question, and uh, this uh, answer should be articulated into three different questions uh, that must be answered in sequence. The first is, uh, can I trust these results? The second is, uh, how relevant are these results? And the third is, <clears throat> are they true and relevant enough to change my practice? Now, each of these uh, three different sequential questions can be articulated in another series of parameters that need to be satisfied in order to say yes, yes, and yes. <clears throat> Let's start from the first one. Are these data true? Well, there are four parameters that essentially need to be satisfied in order to answer yes, I can trust these data. And these are the following. First, the internal validity of a study. Second, the internal consistency. Third, the external consistency. And fourth, the biological and clinical plausibility of these results. Now, these four parameters actually are on three different logical planes. One referred to methodology. The second and third refer to the results, and the last one is simply logic. So, what is internal validity? Essentially, how well the study was designed and conducted. So, was the identification of the primary aim uh, spelled out? Usually, that is done at the end of the introduction. We did this because we wanted to, to, uh, to investigate this question. So the main question of any clinical research is so important. The second is the choice of the endpoint. How hard is the endpoint? How biased is this endpoint? So the hardest the endpoint, the higher the internal validity of a study. Is there a statistical plan? Are the randomization procedures described? And is the analysis done on an intention-to-treat basis or not. Most of the studies we are used to, to, to do and interpret uh, 
say those published on major journals, usually have all these things. However, sometimes you run into problems with these basic concepts. And I will show you an example in a second. The second parameter that should be satisfied is the internal consistency. Say that you see a huge difference in uh, overall survival for uh, regimen A compared to B, but you don't see any difference in response rate and no difference in PFS. Is that possible? Sure, but that's uh, not so consistent internally. Uh, the external consistency means uh, how consistent are these data with all what I know from other trials? And usually, if they, f if they go along the same uh, type of results that have been obtained, uh, have, a, uh, in, have a, a, a truth that is probably more likely to be. Finally, how plausible are these results? And again, this has to deal simply with logic. I think I have a very good example in the field of GI oncology to analyze uh, uh, the first aspect uh, <coughs> of uh, uh, data interpretation, that is, uh, how true are these data. And that is a very famous trial, that is the FIRE 3 trial, uh, that investigated uh, uh, chemotherapy plus BEV versus chemotherapy plus cetuximab. Uh, the trial showed uh, a benefit in terms of overall survival for the combination of chemotherapy plus cetuximab versus uh, chemo plus BEV. <clears throat> However, the trial had uh, two problems. First, uh, it showed a difference in survival and no difference in PFS and no difference in overall, uh, in, uh, overall response rate. Well, there is nothing doing about it, okay? These are the results are the results. So you have to interpret this anyway. But the second problem that the trial has is the fact that uh, despite being a phase three trial that usually needs uh, as endpoint patient-related uh, endpoints, that is overall survival, quality of life, uh, uh, and so on, that's uh, a domain intrinsic to the definition of a phase three trial. Instead, it used a tumor-related endpoint that was response rate. Now, so that the two parameters, internal validity and internal consistencies, are not satisfied. Now, uh, does this mean that we should disregard this trial because we cannot trust these data? Well, after all, it's all uh, a formal problem, choosing uh, uh, response rate as primary endpoint as opposed to, say, overall survival. So uh, one lesson that we should learn is that in the phase of data interpretation, we should be kind of uh, ecumenical and not be uh, the judge of something that if... Uh, uh, did not respect 100% the rules of clinical research should be discarded. These are blood and tears of 600 patients plus dozens of investigators. 
So is this trial practice changing? Well, if it does not satisfy the first question, can I trust these data, the answer is no. But to me, this trial is nevertheless a practice changing because of the relevance of it. And the difference in overall survival was very substantial. I do not have an explanation, but I have to take those data. So again, the messages in interpretation do not be too strict, although do not get offended as an investigator if I point out these weaknesses of the trial. The second point that needs to be addressed in order to conclude so what is how relevant the data are. And again, we have three dimensions to this. The first is how large is the benefit, the size of the benefit. The second is on how many people can I apply these results. And that is called generalizability or more or less external validity. And finally, does this new finding open up a new avenue for cancer treatment? So degree of innovation is also part of the concept of relevance. Let's look at the first parameter, size of the delta benefit. <clears throat> yeah, benefit measured in terms of OS, PFS, RFS, expressed how, hazard ratio, uh, absolute delta. Well, these data, these points are important because a hierarchy exists among uh, endpoints. Say the highest in the hierarchy is the cure, however, cure is never an endpoint because of the time that is needed to, to achieve it. Uh, the second on top is certainly overall survival, but RFS come next, quality of life next, and symptom palliation, not sure where to put it. You see a space in between the first set of endpoints and the second set of endpoints, and the space is, a, is not a mistake. Uh, the first uh, five are patient-related endpoints, hierarchically superior to the other three that are tumor-related endpoints. Again, think of running a 600-patient uh, randomized study with a patient-related endpoint. Not so such a correct choice. The second point is how is the survival benefit expressed. Now we essentially have four ways of expressing the benefit in terms of survival or PFS. One is uh, matching the, the two curves and coming down with the overall uh, summary uh, parameter of hazard ratio. The second is looking at the gain in median survival. The third is looking at the long-term effect and you can express this as the uh, absolute difference, say 10% more, or relative increment, that is if the control was 10% at three year overall survival and you add 10%, that's a 100% proportional increase. So you see how we can play with these. And these have uh, uh, different clinical implications. The first of all, is that they reflect a different type of benefit. 
hazard ratio and median survival times represent usually a small benefit for everybody, whereas the long-term effect represents a huge benefit for a very tiny patient population. Do these have impact on our clinical practice? Yeah, sure. In fact, we never communicate a hazard ratio. Hardly ever we ourselves understand it. And uh, median survival gain, gain in median survival is hard to communicate to patients. The long-term results are very relevant and very easily communicable to patients. However, not so many times in GI oncology we have long-term results. So that reflects a problem. Under which condition were these results obtained? Uh, was that a third-line gastric cancer trial where my control had two, three, four months? If I gained two months, boy, that's a 40, 60% gain. That's huge. But if my control had two years, two months gain will certainly be marginal. And after all, when we talk about clinical benefit, the clinical benefit has essentially three legs, three domains. One is efficacy, one is at which price toxicity, and the other is at which price of convenience, inconveniences. So those uh, parameters should be taken into consideration as well. Uh, the other point, uh, the other dimension of uh, how relevant these uh, results are is the so-called external validity. That is, can I apply these results to my patient, to the average patient? How do you evaluate that? Well, you should look at patient characteristics, not at the eligibility criteria, because the eligibility criteria may, may say something, and then the patient that were accrued may represent a totally different patient population. You should look if the uh, comparator arm is uh, what represents a clinical practice, you should look at how cumbersome, how difficult to comply with is the therapeutic regimen. <clears throat> now, uh, we have a good example of a lack of external validity that impair the possibility of saying these data are relevant. And that is the <clears throat> competitor of the FIRE 3 study that is the CALGB 8045. Uh, that trial uh, that was published uh, on uh, uh, JAMA uh, satisfied all the parameters for uh, uh, how, if the data are true, internal validity, consistency, external consistency, and plausibility. It, it gave a size of the benefit in terms of uh, no difference in efficacy but less toxicity afforded by, given by bevacizumab compared to the anti-GFR. But in that trial, the compliance to treatment was never published, was never communicated. Now, my understanding is that uh, CALGB is trying to collect uh, these data, but just think if the median time to treatment discontinuation in the anti-GFR population was just four months, and it was twice as long in the bevacizumab-containing arm. Can I apply that outside the United States? 
So my evaluation of that is, is that unless that information is provided, we cannot really uh, conclude the, about the relevance of these data on the planet. Finally, are the data practice changing? So they need to be true enough, relevant enough. They should be the regimen and the uh, treatment should be feasible and affordable. Now again, uh, that becomes a, a really prohibitive task sometimes, uh, deciding whether or not uh, this is practice changing. Also because uh, the final results impact uh, on our two systems, uh, two cognitive systems, uh, the uh, cortex, uh, <coughs> uh, that is uh, the dominant system uh, uh, of the rationality, uh, as well as the amygdala, that is the dominant system of our gut feeling. And gut feeling uh, apparently impacts much more. Essentially, this is demonstrated by this curve that is taken by a book where, uh, called the Diffusion of Innovations. So, how people react to new things, how people react to new data. And essentially, people tend to adopt new technologies or new data at varying rates. Their relative speed of adoption can be plotted as a normal distribution with the primary differentiator being individual psychological disposition to new ideas. So that you have the innovators, you have the early adopters, you have the early majority, late majority, and the laggards. And again, there is nothing doing with this. This is our, how we are made. <clears throat> okay, I had the example of the idea uh, study in terms of how hard the data interpretation can be. But that was already addressed during the conversation we had, so I can skip that and go directly to my conclusions. <clears throat> so in the end, when you come up with a new clinical trial and you want to know if this uh, impact on your clinical practice that means transferring these data to the patient-doctor relationship. And that's a huge leap, because after all, clinical trials essentially establishes numbers, establish a principle, a general principle. Now, between this and the personalized decisions, there are uh, uh, kilometers, miles. It's not, it's not a short uh, way. So people get together and uh, uh, put together general principles derived by several clinical trials uh, and they generate guidelines. But again, guidelines uh, refer to that condition mostly referred to a tumor-related principle. So again, the arrow should go down uh, like kilometers. <clears throat> Why? Because uh, clinical trials uh, give this principle that uh, allow to identify the most efficacious trial. Most efficacious is a scientific terms that nourish itself by deltas and p-values, whereas our practice call us to choose the best treatment, and best is a non-scientific term. So essentially, what practice call us to do is an artistic part of our profession, 
whereas uh, it, clinical data interpretation is essentially a scientific effort. Now, how can all this uh, be put together? Well, by not uh, <clears throat> by remembering what the definition of uh, evidence-based medicine is. And this is a, a tremendously important uh, slide to me because uh, uh, it calls the attention to the fact that evidence-based medicine is not only relevant clinical uh, scientific information. It's the interplay between this and our clinical judgment along with patient values and preferences. This may be surprising because evidence-based medicine is a term that is uh, uh, misleading. It sounds like it should be relevant scientific evidence. That's not the case. That's cookbook medicine. We are always called to, to implement our clinical judgment along with the patient uh, expectation, values, and preferences. Thanks very much for your attention.